Come on, give him five more seconds of praise, Eternity Church. Hallelujah. Praise God. That right there is a demon-scaring praise. Come on now. I believe that every weekend right here at Eternity Church, just a little bit north of the Clive Greenbelt, just a little bit north of the stream, there's an echo, there's a spiritual rumble that comes out of this place. Come on now. That scares demons over the river. Come on now. That scares demons up in West Des Moines, over in Urbandale, over in Johnston, downtown Des Moines. Come on. There's a spiritual rumble that comes out of this house. Praise God. You know, there's power in your praise. There's power in praise. Oh, there's some garbage. There's, it's crazy in the world. But this is a refuge. This right here, the house of God, is a city built up on a hill, is a light in the darkness where you can come and, and, and find peace for your soul. Amen. Can lie down by a green pasture, have your soul restored, eat a meal in the presence of your enemies. Amen. This here is a refuge. I've been praying and I'm always praying that every person that walks in the doors of Eternity Church would find refuge, would find peace, would find truth, would find grace, would find healing. Amen. And I'm glad you're here tonight. And I don't know all your stories, but I, I know a guy who does. I know a guy who does. And I know he's got a plan for your life. I hope that tonight would just be a little nudge by God or maybe a great kick from where you are to where God wants you to be. Amen. You know, God's interested in your life. Come on. He set you up. You're like, I'm going to go see Brian Welch play. No, you're not. Instead, you're going to hear Brian Welch tell you a story that transformed his life. That's what you're going to get because God set you up. Amen. Well, we should welcome him to the stage, shouldn't we? Can you give my new friend, Brian Head Welch, a great big Iowa welcome as he comes to share the word with you. Come on now. Thank you. How you guys doing? Right on. It's been good to hang out this weekend so far. Having a little bit of shrimp on the bobby. Yeah. So, okay, last night I forgot to, uh, to ask Jesse. Um, so when people, when they still stand up, does that mean I have to pray and then everybody sits down? Or do I just say sit down? Oh, okay. Deal. Lord Jesus, you are real. You are personal. You are real. It's unfamiliar at first when we, before we step into the relationship with you, but it is amazing. It is mind-blowing. It is a wild roller coaster ride of mostly good times, but sometimes hard. But I just ask you to convince the hearts in the room that it's real. Because when it comes down to it, if it's real, that changes everything. So do the work in the hearts that only you can do with your spirit. Amen. Awesome. I am so stoked to be here. It's been, uh, 
It's been really amazing. I, I love the weather. The coldness, I really, I'm, I love cold weather. And I'm over in Tennessee and when we get off tour, we always tour in the summer. If when I get home, I wanna, have, I wanna be in blankets, I wanna be in the, by the fire. I got double-sided fireplace, so my family room has it, and then my living room, so it's just nice and toasty. But, uh, but I love the weather. And then the men's conference last night. Anybody there last night? A couple. Yeah, it was awesome. I had a first happen last night. A woman snuck into the men's conference with a fake mustache. Was it you? Was it her? No way. Yeah. Okay, it was a little weird, but it was more awesome than weird. Right? Back in the day with the corn shows, this kid got all the way back behind professional security guards. I was in my 20s, and this kid made it back, and he comes up to us, oh my gosh, head. I go, how'd you get back here? Oh, I just snuck past about... 13, 15 security. I'm like, bro, come on in. Sit down. Here's a Coke. Here's some free corn shirts. Like, that is impressive, right? So, I don't get mad at stuff like that. I think it's bold. Anyway, I hear there's like a, a slipper lady here. Tell me, bring me slippers. All right. Thank you. I can't wait to see him. I'm a slipper dude. I love slippers. The cold weather, see? I'm even talking about moving to Montana because it's like, it gets over 40 two months out of the year and it's under 40 the rest of the year. So I just love cold. I love it. Anyway, I'll stop rambling. So stoked to be here. If you're here and this is new to you and, and the songs are new, the, the, the lyrics are, are a little bit strange or whatnot, I want to say it again. It's just unfamiliar, but it is very real. God is very real. And he will prove himself to you and manifest himself to you if you open up and give him a chance. You just got to get over yourself and just be like, okay, it's a little bit strange. It's unfamiliar, but I want to know if it's real too. That's, what, that's where I got got into in life i was like i need to know if this is real because if it is if it's real then everything changes now right and so that's what happened man i was you know i'm gonna tell my story if some of you guys heard it last night you know i try to tell different parts of my story when i speak but you know some of you have seen me on youtube or whatnot and heard my story before but i just want to tell you that when i speak it for the umpteenth time when it comes out of my soul, it's not just words. I'm not trying to convert you into a religion. I'm, when I talk about my old life and how I was completely miserable and lost with millions of dollars in the bank and famous and getting ready, not getting ready, but I was contemplating taking my life and wanting to be out of here. I was so lost. So when I tell my story, if you heard it before and be like, I heard this a million times, just know that when it comes out, I will never forget who I used to be and how hurting I was. And I'm, it's like gratefulness overflows out of my words. So I just hope you, that you, you feel that, okay? Because I couldn't, there's a chance I wouldn't have been here. There's a chance I wouldn't have been here.
And I just, man, but I grew up in Bakersfield, California, the home of Hee Haw, the home of Buck Owens, country music. Me and my boys in corn rebelled. We didn't want nothing to do with country. And it's my mom's fault. I think she got me the Back in Black album, ACDC. I put that thing on, right? I put that thing on, Back in Black! I was like, I want to do that. I want to scream for a living. I want to make noise for a living. When I, get, when I, when I grow up, I want to make noise for a living. And I'm doing it. People would say corn is noise. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, that was it. I met, I met Jonathan Davis, our singer, actually, in elementary school. He was in third grade. I was in fourth grade. I was nine, he was eight. And people don't know, but he was famous when we were growing up. Because there was Stockdale music, there was Front Porch music, and then there was Rick Davis music. And that was his dad, Rick Davis music. So his dad had a music store, which is pretty freaking cool, right? All these instruments, he got to go after school and play horns, trumpets, guitars, piano, whatever he wanted to do. But anyway, so I met the other guitar player, Monkey, who is my guitar twin. If any Korn fans are out there, like me and him, just, we grew up together. Well, kind of. I met him, yeah, 14 years old, and he played an acoustic guitar, and he got, he had an accident where a big chunk of his finger got got ripped off on a a mini bike or something like that, I don't remember. A lawnmower? Did somebody say something? Anyway. So he was playing acoustic guitar. The doctor said, come up with something to get your strength back in your finger. So he was an acoustic guitar. Comes over to my house, and I'm freaking shredding. And he's just like, can I do that too? So I sold him the guitar, the PV Mystic that I got. I, I, I jacked up. I doubled the price and sold it to his dad. And then I was able to get my dream guitar after that. And I confessed it to his dad before he passed away, so it's all good. We're all good now. But, but yeah, so I met the drummer around 16. He was barely going through puberty when we met him, David Silveria. His, he, like, we just heard a, 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 a voice message on the answer machines. Kids, we used to have these things that we plug into the wall, and they would answer our phone calls for us. It's crazy. But, uh, and he was just like, hey, man, this is David. I heard you're looking for a drummer, you know? And so we got him in. He was just shredding on the double bass. So uh, is, that, is that everybody? Oh, Fieldy, the bass player. I met him when, in seventh grade. He played guitar, and he sucked at it bad. So I got him playing bass. It had four strings, and it was a lot easier to play. So that was it. We ended up in L.A. We ended up just, you know, we grew up together in these cheesy bands, Fieldy, David, and Monkey, who's in the guys in Corn, they went and started a band when we were like 17 years old. They left me. And everybody says, they left me and started a Chili Peppers ripoff band. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, as, I'm as white and gringo as you could just think or imagine. I have no funk. I can't bring the funk. I don't... I can't do it. I just, I just need, you know, straight freaking metalhead. So they went through their little phase for a few years. I was hanging out with them. I was actually their roadie. So I encouraged the bass player to play bass. I encouraged the other guitar player to play guitar when we were kids. And then they left me and I became their roadie. (laughs) 
how jacked up is that? But they didn't, they didn't go nowhere, and they always just give me free beer, and uh, I wasn't very good roadie. I, was, I think I was bitter subconsciously, so like they'd be up in a show, like playing a show, and I'd be out back by the bar watching them, and the music, like the chords would come out, and there'd be no music coming out of the amplifiers, and I'd be like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's by your left foot. I'd be screaming from the bar. I was no help. But what are they going to do? Kick me out? Fire me? They didn't even pay me, and I'm their best friend. So, But it was really weird, and uh, I just kind of shoved it down, because we were just drunk and doing drugs and mostly drinking, but I just kind of shoved it down, and I, I just kind of, in my mind, I was like, this band is so stupid. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in it anyway, so I didn't want to. Um, it was just bizarre. And then Alice in Chains came out. Yeah, that changed everything. I feel like that the grunge, you know, movement came. I love Nirvana. Um, Pearl Jam was cool, but they're a little too bluesy for my taste and our taste. And then when Alice in Chains came out, they just had just this like meaner feel to it, lower tunings and whatnot. That mixed with Nine Inch Nails and 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 all these other like Smashing Pumpkins and. And these cool bands that were out there, we just kind of like loved it all. And hip hop music, and we just, we kind of, we, the, I watched my guys kind of turn into an Alice in Chains ripoff band. <laughs> and so it was David, it was Monkey, it was Fieldy with a different singer. And it was called Creep. And so uh, they played a few shows. I went to one or two shows, and then they asked me to join the band as I, I, I called my dad. You know, my, one of my roommates would start selling acid and mushrooms, and I did that a few times. And it was, you know what drugs can do, some of you guys. It's like, it's fun at first, you know. I took acid a few times. We lived at the beach uh, right outside of L.A. And we went to the lifeguard stand after taking acid at like 2, 2 a.m. And I'm on top of the stand just like, oh, my gosh. I start going like that, and the whole stand is like bending. <laughs> And then the, 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 the footprints in the sand are going, hey, Brian, this is fun. Like crazy, crazy. I'm like, acid is the best thing I've ever done. And then I tried it about five times after that. The last time I went up to San Diego uh, Hills and we were with a bunch of friends and girls and everything, probably like 10 of us. And I went to look at the bush to see if it would talk to me or something, you know, <laughs> after taking the acid. And I looked at it. And I saw like a demon <laughs> and it was all dark. I don't know. It was a, I just, the shape of it was just like, oh, and I go, guys, guys, I'm having a bad trip. And then everybody starts crying. I didn't even, I wasn't even crying, but the girls are like, ah, me too. And everyone's running around. Where's the car? So we ended, we ended up getting back, scared me straight, done with drugs. I hit my, my dad up. It wasn't the acid that did it, but it was just like the being tired of going nowhere in life. And so I hit my dad up and I was like, dad, I'm, I need, I need to, I need a direction in life. I'm not doing nothing. And I didn't, I didn't confess I was doing drugs, but I was like, I need, maybe I can come home and work for the, the family business, which was a Chevron gas station. And I had worked there when I was a kid. My brother worked there a little bit and I could learn management skills, maybe go to the junior college there. And he's like, sure. He goes, cut your hair. Because <laughs> my dad had a thing about guys with long hair. It's just he's from the old school. So I cut my hair. And um, about a week later, I was getting ready to move. And the guys hit me up and said, man, we don't want you to move. Because we were best friends, man. We just had a blast together. And 
they said, why do you want to go back to Bakersfield? There's nothing there. And I said, well, there's nothing here. What am I doing here? And they said, why don't you join our band? And so the Chili Peppers band, I wouldn't want to do that. Plus, I couldn't because I can't bring the funk. But the Alice in Chains ripoff band, I could do. So I joined the band. A couple of the guys, Monkey was hesitant because he was the only guitar player for a while. But once we jammed and, and he had seven string guitars and, and Phil D, our bass player, had a five string. So it's, it's lower tuning. So we were lower than Alice in Chains. We went lower than anybody at that time. Maybe there might have been one band out there, just obscure band or something. But so we came up with this sound and we started writing different type of riffs and that's when the corn sound was birthed it went from um the allison chains just thing that it went to a, like a our own thing but you could hear influences in there and whatnot so and we had a singer that sounded like lane from allison chains he was like, like doing all that stuff and i was just like ah and uh it's been done i i i was always i had an ear for guitar players and bands that were unique and so I always thought if I had a guitar style, even growing up, that that could be unique, then I would stand out above the rest. If a singer's voice comes into my life that's unique, we will have a chance because there's a lot of good vocalists out there, but there's, there's not great ones that sound like themselves and sound like they carry a whole new different thing. And so we played one show with the Allison Change type singer, then we went to Bakersfield to visit family, we stopped in at a bar and there was a, a band playing and that's when we saw Jonathan Davis. I didn't recognize him as that third grader in my school because he was, he had grown up, I haven't seen him forever. And he was up there just like, he looked like a rock star in this bar in Bakersfield. And then, so we, we found out how to get a hold of him. We didn't care he was in a band, we found out how to get a hold of him and we called up, and he tells us that, yeah, I'm in this band, and, but that's just part-time. I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a mortician. <laughs> so, you know, he had a dream in his teenage years to be a mortician. So he's doing that. And I'm like, that's the coolest thing I ever heard. <laughs> a mortician who's a singer in a metal band doesn't get any better than that, right? It's cool. So we wanted even, even more. But we had challenges because we had to talk him into leaving his mortuary career, coming to join our band because we had some big connections that may get assigned or whatever. So we had to kind of like, you know, layer it up thick, you know. It wasn't a sure thing at all. But we got him in the band. We, he ended up leaving, leaving the whole, his whole life, left the band, and joined our band. And he went from mortuary to Pizza Hut. <laughs> He was making pizzas, making the dough, making the sauce, and he worked his way up to uh, manager of the pizza joint. So well, we, we ended up writing more songs, playing some shows, came up with the band Corn. We just thought it was weird. Either you love it or you hate it, but you would never forget it with the K and the backwards R. And our singer came up with that. And so we started plastering stickers everywhere and, and where we lived, hour outside of LA, Orange County. And we started to get traction. People started coming to our shows. And the Rage Against Machine, anybody remember that band? They're, 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 they were playing recently, but like their crowds would just be chaotic. And we wanted that for our shows. And so, and we got it. We wrote music that would kind of like uh, help people persuade them into jumping up and down, mosh pits, everything. 
So we did it, and it was fun, man. It was really fun. We were, we were drinking. We were doing some drugs, but that wasn't fun. We, we started doing crystal meth a little bit, and we knew it was bad, but it was such a rush to do it that I, I was drawn to it a lot, but I, I tried to push it back and not do it too much, but we eventually got a record deal. We, uh, we got signed by A&M Records. Well, actually, it was Immortal. No, I'm sorry. It's not A&M. Um, it was Epic Records. It was through Immortal. Immortal had, um, they were connected with like House of Pain, you know, bands like that. Funk Dubious, these hip-hop bands back in the day. But we got a record deal. We went and recorded in Malibu, which was awesome. Dream come true. The lawyers took forever to get the contracts ready. So I, qu I quit my job and, and was thinking I was going to get paid right away for music. And it took like four more months. And so I was like couch surfing in people's backyards and whatnot. I was just sleeping wherever I could. And uh, paying my dues, man, before the, before the success. But after our record came out, we went. And they didn't know where to put us, actually, at first. So our first show was with no doubt. I didn't even know who it was back then because they, you know, they didn't blow up yet either. They blew up probably about a year after that with I'm Just a Girl. But um, you know how Gwen, she has that vibrato. You know, back in the day, she had that fag. You know? And I was like, she sounds like Rush. <laughs> she sounds like Getty Lee from Rush. I was like, who's that chick that sounds like Rush? That's no doubt. Oh, they're a little bit ska. They're like a ska rush. <laughs> but uh, so that was weird. The crowd, like, you know, we're corn. We're just flying around dreadlocks everywhere. But our singer would wear skirts sometimes. It was just so it was like we were this heavy band, but we looked hip hop sometimes and alternative other times and uh, goth other times. So it was just we were we were just we loved all kinds of styles and we didn't care about boxing ourselves in. Second show was with like Pennywise, Offspring, some punk bands. Um, then we played with like Testament, uh, a, a really hard metal band. Then we, st we got our first tour and it wasn't a metal tour. We're a metal band, but it was House of Pain. House of Pain, but actually Biohazard, a metal band was on tour with us too. So, you know, the song Jump Around, that was our first tour. And so we, we our record company bought us a uh, Winnebago and we hit the road, it caught on fire when we got to our first, like, I don't know, real soon. So then we rode in some vans, did that tour, it was awesome. The vans, oh man, I mean, we drank. And we would, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, we would drink and drive sometimes in, with our, our gear in the trailer. We got home from that tour, we said, look, we're not going, we're gonna quit, the, we're gonna dissolve this band unless you guys get us a tour bus. So they started paying for a tour bus, so that was helpful. And then we started getting better tours. Our next tour was uh, Danzig and Marilyn Manson. And that was, that was crazy. That was a really crazy tour. I, I saw the dark side of just how uh, par the party life could be because, you know, we know Marilyn. We've known him for years. And he's, he's, he's back then he really lived like, like he looked on stage, like backstage. It was just crazy. I mean, like, I'm not going to say it in this church. It's too holy in this building, right? But, uh. But that was fun, and we started growing, and then we got the Megadeth tour. Dave Mustaine, who uh, was fired from Metallica, started his own band. A lot of you guys know. Uh, we got that tour. That was bigger, and then we started. It was weird because we got, we got um, flipped birds while we're playing for the Megadeth crowd some nights, and some nights they loved us. So it was just a bizarre thing. But how you could tell if it's working is if your record sales go up. So we went to 3,500 a week 
sales every week, which was humongous. It was like, yeah, 3,500? When we first started with Biohazard and got that first tour, we started doing like 800 a week. So it shows you the jump. And it starts growing. Then we get the Ozzy Osbourne tour, like a, a couple of them. And we're opening up in arenas. And some of those people are flipping us off too. Ozzy, Ozzy, get off the stage, you freaks. <laughs> and Ozzy's not a freak. But it was a dream come true. Randy Rhodes was one of my favorite guitar players. And Ozzy was just an icon to me, man. To see him like go to the catering room to get some dinner and just be like, oh, I'm not going to have a hamburger. <laughs> it was freaking awesome. And we went gold on that tour. 500,000 records. We got a gold record. Our first record, it was crazy. Thank you. It was like, we were loving it. These were the good years. Sharon came in with Ozzy. They congratulated us. I think Ozzy did. I mean, I didn't understand a word he said, but. <laughs> but then Sharon was like, congratulations. And she just spoke the future to us. She goes, you guys are going to have a long career in music. You're going to go a long way. And it was just really Really cool to hear someone that was legendary, even Sharon back then. She didn't have the TV shows or nothing, but everybody knew that she managed Ozzy and helped him get out of the Black Sabbath slump after he quit, you know, and gave him a, helped him in his career. So just to hear that was like, man, am I dreaming, right? Our second record comes out. We wrote this song called Twist. Anybody hear it? <laughs> a little bit... Uh, Strange. I remember Jonathan Davis saying, like, it's not singing, but he did that twist thing, and we just looked at him like, oh my gosh. Like, you're the weirdest guy, mortuary, freaking scarecrow looking crazy guy on stage, and now twist? Where do you come up with that? And we did the music underneath him. If you haven't heard Twist by Korn, please go listen to it. You won't hear no bad words. Don't worry. You'll, you'll see how crazy it is, okay? Twist, Korn, after church. Okay. Anyway, that record comes out. We start getting bigger. MTV starts playing us in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. They're like, we don't. So many people in the industry were like, we don't like this. We don't like this, but it was selling, and the kids were liking it, so they're like, we, we don't like it, but we got to play it. We're, we're forced to because everyone's demanding it. So it got bigger. The third record came, came out. That was when everybody kind of clicked, and it was growing at a pace that was, it wasn't like overnight, but it was steadily growing, and they saw the demand, and they saw the, the, the crowd and the kids and, and the numbers and everything, because, you know, record labels are all about numbers. So that's when the right person got to the president of the company and they, they saw it. They said, this is going to be a new thing that's going to explode and we're going to put everything behind it. So a record came out, exploded onto the scene. That's when other bands were coming out too that were similar but different. You know, we had the Limp Biscuit that was like a new metal but more hip hop, you know. And, um, but we just exploded and started, remember I said 3,500 records a week and we we're like, wow. 100,000 records in one week, over and over. It sold, yeah. It wasn't like a Lincoln Park number, but it, for us, it was huge, man. And, okay, right about then, that's when things 
started to shift a little bit in our psyche. I don't know if you don't have a good foundation of the person that you want to be and you find fame like that and you're just drinking your way through it, something, there's going to be some issues. So we, I started to see all of us, our personalities started to shift. Um, it was exciting, but then there was fear attached to it. I don't know. It, it's just a human condition, I think, the insecurity and uh, just not being really solid in yourself and not really having the means, the, 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 the tools to deal with that kind of thing, right? And so we just kept drinking and drinking, and luckily we, we, we kept going, having successful albums, but the, the addictions got worse. You know, next couple records came out, divorces happened, five members in corn, five divorces. It's like we wanted groupies and we wanted wives at home. We wanted to be family men with children and we wanted drugs and sex. You can't have both. We tried to lie it, lie it away, you know, just deny, 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 deny. What happens on the road stays on the road, that type of thing. But hearts are united and hearts know when something's going on. And the heart, it's like you're not there physically, but, you know, you guys know you've lived some life. Some of you a lot of life, my God. No, I'm just joking. So I started getting depressed, you know, and uh, I was married. I had a, a wife and a kid, and we had this beautiful baby named Jenea, and she was born in 1998, and me and my wife wanted to be the best parents ever, and we loved her to death, but the addictions kept coming and creeping in, and man, it was a, it was a thing where we, we were doing speed sometimes. We tried not to do it, but it was just... It was just an, I don't know, that rush, man. It's like chasing the dragon type of thing, chasing that high. And uh, we wouldn't do it for a month or, you know, and we'd get off the come downs and, and be good or whatnot. And we would always come back to it. She ended up leaving me in the most horrible way. She ended up finding, now I'm not blaming her fully because I wasn't the man of the house and I didn't lead our family or help to lead our family in a healthy way. When I came home from tour, I should have been all about just serving them, you know, my wife and my daughter and just spending time with them. And meanwhile, I'm like, you know, should we call the dealer, you know, and we got a kid and we're just like, we're not trying to do much, but I don't know. It's just that addiction thing pulled me. So we, then we try to stop and whatnot. And one time I was out on the road and um, I found out that she was really hooked on methamphetamine and I found out that she had a boyfriend and moved into the house. She confessed it to me. I t told the story last night, but I'm trying to go a little bit quicker. But um, she, uh, she ended up just bailing, you know. I told her I want to come home and work it out because I, I felt guilty for the things that I did. And I went home and um, she was gone. She was gone. The babysitter was with our two-year-old. So I took her on the road. I became a single dad right then. She was so, like, messed up, and also she was afraid because I had, like, the, the highest power lawyers in Hollywood, you know, and I knew who to go to, and so she was like, I'm not going to win anyway, so I went to court, suit and everything, got full custody, and got sober right then because I needed to do the right thing for my kid. I'm like, I don't know what kind of a situation I'm in. Hold your applause. It gets worse. It's the process of trying to be a good person, but having issues and undealt with issues, right? 
So I'm trying to, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be the best dad. It lasted for four months, and then 9-11 happened. The plane hit the towers, and I got all stressed out over that. And an addict, an alcoholic, uses things as an excuse, right? Man, that, that's so unfair. I'm going to start drinking. I start drinking again. And then the next thing you know, I'm just like, I'm just going to deal with life as just, I'm going to find as much pleasure as I can. Now, when I come home, I'm going to be a dad, but I need to live life. I'm single, so I, I try to be like the biggest womanizer on the road. You know, security guards go pass out backstage passes to only girls, go get the, the most loose girls you could find, all that. And that made me empty. That was just, didn't work out good. I was getting slapped by girls because like, I'm not a whore. I'm like, you're backstage at a rock concert. Like all this, I just, but I felt so weird doing it because I don't know. I asked Christ in my heart when I was 12. I never went to church, but the neighbors told me about him. And I think there was just a conscience there that he was like trying to, trying to show me, you know, that women were more valuable. And I had a daughter and I don't want her to grow up like that. So it was just, there were some just issues going on and I, I couldn't be comfortable in that. Then I had a root canal, fell into Vicodin, started taking those Vicodins like they were Tic Tacs and uh, got up to like 14, 20 a day. It was crazy. I had all the doctors that I want would write me whatever. I want. Well, not all the doctors, but I found the right ones to go to. If I wanted a Xanax bottle that would last me six months, I'd find the doctor. If I wanted, you know, my Vicodins, I'd find them. So I did everything. I wasn't going to go back to speed because I saw what it did to my marriage. It was the most horrible drug. I saw what it could do to a mind, my ex-wife, running away with a skinhead, with a bad dude, second strike felon. So I'm like, I got to stay away from meth. We moved back to Bakersfield where it all started. And by that time, I was like, you know what? I'm just, I just want to be about family and rock star, you know? And I moved back there for family, but one night I ended up hanging out with this rich dude and... He had all these millions, he had more millions than I did, and, and he had this oil business, and he had these employees that were doing meth. And to impress him, I think, I agreed to do some meth with him, and next thing you know, I got his employee's number, and I become a full-on addict after trying it one more time. I think that, like, there was something in me that knew that if I tried it again, I was going to go bad. I was going to go bad, downhill direction. And so I tried it, and I never turned into a, a, a user for more than like a weekend. But right when I started it, after moving back to Bakersfield to be with family, I started doing meth every day for two years, seven, around 700 days straight I did meth. And I took it all over the world. I took it to Australia. Good eye, Mike. I took it to... <laughs> I took it to Asia, I took it to all over Europe, I took it to, no, not South America, but, and I ran out in like Germany or somewhere, and that was when they were starting to do online tracking, just starting out, and I had my dealer send me meth through FedEx or whatever, and I tracked it online, I was so paranoid I didn't know if they were going to bust down the doors because they found drugs, that you can't send drugs to other countries, it's bad. So that's when I got home. My parents are still together this time. They're good people, you know. They didn't, they didn't do it all right, but they, they're good people. They raised me better than to send drugs to different countries. So I, I just had a 
it was like I, I felt so bad. And, and then my daughter, I'm like, I'm a loser. So I got home. I tried to go to these outpatient rehabs. Didn't work. I tried everything I could. I'm holding my phone because I like to look at notes. So I'm ADHD. Don't judge me. But uh, I get home. The outpatient rehabs didn't work. I didn't want to go into an inpatient because I was just really social. I had social anxiety bad. And I didn't want to get around people. And they find out I'm in corn. We were way in the mainstream then. So, so I, get to the, uh, I get to the point where money was my God. Drugs were my God. But I was responsible on drugs with money. Go figure. So I, I met these guys who were real estate investors. One was a broker. One was an investor. And just, you know, two guys in a small town who had money. Let's do something together. Grow our money. So we ended up buying some land. We're going to develop some neighborhoods. And... Um, they happen to be Christians. So in my heart now, I know that God used my false God of money to start to woo me to him, to bring me to him. And these Christians, yeah, it was amazing because these Christians ended up, they, they didn't shove nothing down my throat. They didn't open their mouths until I opened my mouth and said one, one morning, actually they did open their mouths. I'm a liar. The broker... <laughs> The broker sent me a scripture. At, he woke up at like 5 a.m. I was still up from the night before because I was on meth. I get this email, bing, and uh, it says, Brian, this is Eric. I don't, I don't, because he was afraid that, you know, I would think he was weird. He's like, I don't want to be weird, but I feel like this scripture would mean something to you. God put you on my heart this morning. I don't normally do this. But the scripture says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. <laughs> Millions of dollars in the bank, thousands of people at our shows, suicidal ideation going on. That scripture was like a big tall glass of water in a desert. And I was just like, could it be real? And I instantly thought back to when I was 12. Wow, that's that Jesus that I asked in my heart. Could that have been real? I instantly emailed him back. Eric, I'm a lost soul. That was my, that was my big one-liner. <laughs> but I kept going. I'm a lost soul. I, haven't, I asked Jesus in my heart back in the day, but I don't, I don't, I've never been to church. And he proceeded to tell me, like, it's not about church, man. It's about relationship. And I don't know the exact words, but... So I went to church with them. I ended up going to church with the guys. And I get there, and there's a song called Majesty, where it says, Majesty, your grace has found me just like I am, just as I am, empty-handed, but alive in your hands. I had millions of dollars, but I was empty-handed. I had fame. I had connection to the best doctors, anything, but I was empty-handed. I, I was a shell. I had nothing inside it was just nothing. It was like darkness inside of me. I was a walking shell. No substance to me. The only substance I had was my love for my daughter. So I know there's a spark of light in me, but I couldn't get this self-hatred out of me. Why am I doing these things to myself? I love my daughter. She deserves better. There must be a self-hatred and the addiction, lust, all that stuff. So I don't know. I needed to be dealt with, and I found someone who could deal with it <laughs> because... I, I had suicidal ideation, I keep saying, but there was a, a time where, you know, I found out, like, look, if we don't want our lives, 
and we want to just waste our lives by taking them or whatever, why don't we give them to someone who wants them? Christ wants our lives, you know? Make good out of it. We could die in a different way. We die to this world so that he fills us with his life and we raise up to be a new person, right? That's what's up. And so I raised my hand to receive Christ. And, but that wasn't it. That's not what saves me. The church and the, and, the, and the prayer didn't save me. Coming to this church and getting close to the pastor or going by what he says, that's not going to save you. Jesus himself wants a relationship with you and i've been hanging out with pastor jesse he does not want to be a lord over you he wants you to know christ like he knows christ he wants you to train to go into preparation to learn this relationship but how do you know it's real though right I was, that's all i was thinking okay this is cute it's all good yeah i want a new life but how do i know it's real these people may be crazy you know there's weird Christians out there. A lot still. But back then, it was even worse. Remember those you older people? Remember you flip through the channels, and you go on that Christian channel, and you're like, Ugh. All those chairs and that big old blue hair and whatever, and they're just like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. And you're just like, Friday the 13th was, more, was, was less scarier, I should say. Strange. But... This guy at this church, this pastor was normal. He was cool. He had jeans on. I thought you had to be in a robe or something to talk about the Bible. He was like, I used to be an alcoholic. I beat my wife. She left me. I told the Lord, if you're real, come into my life. Give me back my family, and I'll serve you the rest of my days. And he had a 10,000-member church right there, and it didn't even get to his head. And he was just real and raw, and I was like, dude, I like this guy. So I went home, and just like I said, I, I wanted to find out if Jesus was real. So I started praying to him, Jesus if you're real, take these drugs from me. Take this addiction. Give that little girl. I figured if God has a heart, he's going to be a sucker for that little girl. I said, give that little girl a new daddy. Because I am no good for her and she needs a new dad. Her mom is broken and I'm not no better. I'm just functioning. Give her a new dad. Make me new. Show me you're real. Sorry, so the, what I loved about the pastor was like he was, sorry, I'm looking at the clock. Um, he was really cool about, he's like, dude, come to church high. If you're, if you're on drugs, come to church high. If you're, if you're an alcoholic, come drunk. We don't care. That stuff is not going to be able to stay if you're coming to learn, inviting Jesus in. So all that stuff. And so I kept coming to church high on drugs sometimes. And next thing you know, after church one day, I went and I had this Bible the guys gave me. I was thumbing through it. The scripture just, just hit me, and I felt a presence come into the room. And there's a scripture that says that Jesus, I butchered it last night, I'm going to butcher it again, that if you love Jesus, that he will come and make his home in you with the Father. So it's the Father God and the Son, and they'll make their home in you. And, and Jesus says, I will manifest myself to you. That means show himself clearly to you. Maybe not a vision, or you'll see him floating in your room. But he will manifest to your heart. It usually happens in the heart. There's sometimes very supernatural things that happen, but it's a, it's a, it's a revealing in the deepness of your heart. The core of who you are knows it, no matter what. And that's what happened to me and uh, changed my life, man. It was uh, 2005, 
And right then I threw away all the drugs. I didn't, haven't touched drugs since then. And um, I have been chasing. It's a healthy addiction to the meaning of life. I found the meaning of life and I'm, I grabbed a hold of it like I did the meth and I haven't let go of Jesus, the truth, because it's the meaning of life. He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And he'll show you. And that feeling that I felt, I found a scripture that says that, that God pours his spirit inside of us as a deposit and a down payment of what's guaranteed to come when we die one day. So it's not like you just say, oh, I'm going to... I'm going to choose to believe, and then hopefully the, the Bible's true. No, he gives you a piece of heaven, of, of God's life to come in your spirit. And that's what pushes the addiction out of you. That's what pushes the depression. That's what pushes all that stuff. So it works. I don't know how it works. And I thought it was strange in the beginning, but I was so hopeless. I had nothing else to do. And that was my last resort. And he was there for me. And he showed me that he's real. So there's a piece of heaven that any any of us could feel man and i've been through it all like i just said depression suicidal ideation um confusion of just of life of the meaning of life the riches weren't it the fame wasn't it none of it was it until i found how can you how else can you explain it almost 20 years ago about 17 18 years i get filled with that deposit that piece of heaven and my whole life has gotten better since then has it been perfect? No, I've had hard days, but my whole life has gotten better. Everything has gotten better, healthier, family, everything, man. And it is so real. I keep telling everybody it's the most realest thing that you'll ever encounter if you just open your heart and start training with the Lord every day, training, preparing, getting into the Word, spending time, getting with other Christians. Yes, it's the best ever. People used to say, oh, that's going to fade. You know, you're just, it's just new. It's, you know, it's cute. I'm like, if, if that's Jesus, I don't even want your Jesus. I want this to be my whole life. I want to be fiery and passionate when I'm 86 years old and just long dreads looking like Gandalf, you know, be like, I'm just going to be like, oh God, so in love with the Lord. I'm going to be childlike. I'm going to be clowning people all the time. I'm, I don't have to get old because there's a scripture that says, outside we are wasting away, but inside we are being made new day by day. So that tells me, as I get older and older, I'm going to keep getting younger and younger inside. Death has no, like death doesn't have the final answer. Death is treated like a savior sometimes. But when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But when I die, I'm going to meet Jesus. He died to get his life in you so that you can have some of heaven here and you can know him here. It's not the full picture, but it's a little bit, right? So yeah, I've been through it all and I brought with me a friend tonight named Jimmy and I want him to share his story because we encountered a lot of people that were struggling with mental health, uh, depression and suicidal ideation like I was and Jimmy went through it like in a pretty profound way. So I want to let him share that with you. All right. Give it up for Jimmy. How's everybody doing? Awesome. It's an absolute honor to be able to be here with you guys and be able to share my story with you. Um, so like Brian said, my name is Jimmy. I'm from Southern California. Um, I don't really remember much of my childhood. 
there was a lot of partying going on, um, things like that, drugs, alcohol. So by, needless to say, by the age of five, my parents got a divorce. Um, my dad ended up getting full custody of my brother and I. Uh, from the age of five until about 11, I think I saw my mom maybe about a handful of times. Um, a month after my 11th birthday, my mom committed suicide. Uh, by the age of 13, I had come into agreement with the lie that that's exactly how I would die as well. And that's kind of when the roller coaster ride of my life started. I started drinking at the age of 13, uh, and as time progressed, I continued to try new, <clears throat> new things to try and fill the hole that was inside of me. It started with alcohol, it progressed into drugs and women, and it just continued to progress and get worse and worse and worse. Um, in my late teens, early 20s, I started playing music. Uh, my brother and I had two very simple goals. We had a goal to play, a goal to play, uh, oh, buddy, how you doing? Yeah? <laughs> we had a goal to play the uh, local venue in our area called The Glass House, and we wanted to play Warp Tour. Uh, we continued local, locally gigging around where we lived, um, continued to grow, continued to grow, um, and as we grew, kind of like the same, same way as Brian, as that grew, like my addictions grew, the alcohol grew, the women, it all just continued to progress. Um, we started getting closer and closer to the goals that we had for ourselves, and as we got closer to those goals, like I said, everything else progressed. So, sorry, I'm getting lost. I'm getting lost. Um, We got to a point to where everything we had dreamed of was coming true. We were getting ready to go on Warp Tour. We were opening up shows for the biggest bands in the world. And all I wanted to do was take my life. I was battling depression. I felt hopeless. Um, when my mom left, that's when the lie started in my head that I wasn't good enough and I never would be good enough. Um, so <clears throat> we opened up a show for a band called P.O.D. Uh, the singer Sonny Sandoval was a part of a movement called the Whosoever's, which Brian is also a part of. Uh, that night, I met a man named Ryan Reese. I don't remember it because I was drunk. He invited myself and our drummer down to church the next week, and we went. After church, we all went out to Chili's, and Ryan's assistant was the very first person that I heard speak openly about suicide. Because growing up in the era that I did, nobody talked about mental health, nobody talked about suicide, no men shared their struggles. And this was the very first person that I ever heard speak openly about it. That same week that he shared with me was the week that I was planning to take my life. That night, I went home in the same way that I was planning on taking my life. I cried out to Jesus, and I said, Jesus, if you're real and you really did for that man what he says you did, I need you to come in my life and I need you to save me because I don't know what else to do because I'm ready to die. My life has absolutely never been the same. That's right. Has it been easy? Absolutely not. But with the Lord, anything is possible. He'll continue to walk with you. He'll continue to clean you. And he'll continue, continue, continue. And tonight we believe that, that the Lord wants to break off that spirit of suicide. So if there's anybody in here tonight that's struggling with that, we want to pray for you.
You guys. I don't know if I've said it before, you guys, but God is real. Okay, I have about 17 times, but I hope you get this through your thick skulls because my skull is thick too. I'm not giving you any, I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying us as humans are thick skulled and close hearted because we've been wounded. Just open your heart to see if this is real, you guys. God will flow his spirit from the spiritual realm and give you uh, just an infilling of the living water. The spirit is called living water because we're dry and we're weary and we're broken and we're, we're like a desert land inside. When no one's around, come on, let's get real with ourselves. Do you guys want peace? Do you want comfort inside? This is what God does. Yes, there's scriptures in the Bible that are just like, what? I don't understand all of them. But I know the New Testament, Jesus comes and he forgives everything. But can he forgive me? Well, the guy named Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, which is a lot, was killing, helping to kill Christians. And God used him as the biggest revelation to reveal God's precious heart for humanity. A killer of Christians. So I think you're doing okay, right? If you compare yourself to someone that's... You haven't burned no churches down. (laughs) You're doing good. God will forgive you of everything. If you hurt people in your family, God will forgive it. If you hurt yourself, God will forgive it. Everything over and over. Countless times in a day. He is that living water that just pours himself and he makes his home in you. Well, that sounds weird. Guess what? I thought it was too until you experience it and it becomes the meaning of life. Do you think that I would still be doing this after 20 years when it's not the most popular thing in heavy metal music? I would have left it a long time ago. Got my head right. Church helped me. And then, okay, I'll get far away from that now that I'm sober. No, it's the meaning of life. It's so real. And religion has scared so many of us away from Christ. And he's called me to to bring you back to show you that those religious idiots are not him. They're the ones that hurt you. They are of man. They're not him. When you get to know the true him, that's where it's at. And it makes all the suffering worth it in the world that you've gone through. So, can I pray for you guys? Let's just pray. Lord, number 18, you are real. Over and over again, I will tell people that you are real and you will reveal yourself to us, Lord. Jesus, would you touch every heart in here? Even the ones that have the hardest heart that may think that this is not real, Lord. Lord, there's a deposit and a down payment that you pour into our souls and spirits to show us that what's to come is really going to happen. And we need that deposit. Lord, pour into everybody here, Lord. Guys, with your eyes closed and everything as we pray, if there's anybody here that wants that deposit and wants to see if this is real, it might happen tonight. And if, if you keep coming after it for the next weeks and months, you will see it. But... If you want to start that process of seeing if this deposit sent from heaven that Christ 2,000 years ago, you think it's an old story, but it's present now. It's brand new. It never gets old, ever. It never will get old because he pours his life that never spoils or fades or perishes inside of you. If you want that, put your thumb up in the air right now. 
If you want me to pray for that deposit, I see them all over the place. Put your thumb up if you want this deposit. If you're a Christian and you're just coming to church on Sunday, but you don't know really if God is real, like it's, it's, as much as I'm saying, please put your thumb up in the air. I want to pray for everybody. I promise you it's the biggest, it's the biggest, most important thing you ever do in your life because it is the meaning of life. And I'll repeat myself on that over and over too. The answer for the meaning of life will be answered to you and it will be revealed to you that this is it. This is the only faith that comes with a guaranteed deposit that will be given into your heart now. I'm not knocking other faiths. I'm just saying this is the one you will not see miraculous things like this in other faiths. You will not. So Lord, all these people that put their thumbs up in the air right now, Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that deposit, that peace of heaven, that Christ life, Lord, that you will fill them from their toes to their head, Lord. Just fill their body, Lord. You said that you shed your blood for humanity, that spiritually speaking, your bloodshed cleanses us, and that you said that you set us free. The sun sets free is free indeed, so set the captives free right now. I pray for the mind of Christ, the consciousness of Christ to be pl implanted on them, which is the mind of Christ the scriptures talk about, that they would start to be engulfed with massive thoughts of positivity, of love, of shalom, peace, that passes all understanding, that everything about them would be Christ, the spirit of Christ, which is their breath is Christ, the mind of Christ, the soul of Christ, their, their bodies are a member of Christ Jesus himself. We are all one. You've brought us to be one with you, Lord. It may be a little bit strange or different or unfamiliar, but it's real, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. I pray that when they wake up in the morning, they would feel a total different feeling, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We don't have to be copiers of anybody, but you make us unique. Look at me, Lord. I'm a freaky heavy metal dude that loves you so much, and I don't have to conform to a religious person. I, I'm myself. It was freedom you've given me. You set me free and then allowed me to be myself, but I let go and detached from all the things in the world that are harming me and all the, all the, all the junk that the world tries to get on me. So thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, become real. Reveal. You're the revealer of Christ. So reveal Christ to everybody here. Amen. 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 Come on, y'all stand up with me and give God some praise. Hallelujah. Hello. You guys stick around for a minute because uh, Jimmy as well. We, we, we're going to pray for some other people in a moment. But one thing I want you to do, uh, I want everyone in the room, especially those people that lifted up their hand today. All right. I want you to do me a favor today. I want you to, uh, to pray a prayer with me right now. I want you to repeat it after me. Scriptures say, don't like we did last night, right? That's all good. Sorry, you did it last night. I'll do it today. It's all good. And it uh, says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, something about, the, something about our faith in God where He wants us to speak it out, to speak it out, to say it. And so what I want you to do is I want you to believe in your heart and then say this prayer out loud with me today, all right? So everyone in the room, if you're away from God, or those of you who just put your hand up and said you want to start a relationship with God, I want you all, everyone in the room, so no one's praying alone, to repeat after me right now this prayer. Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on a cross 
for my sin, the stuff I've done wrong. And he rose again to give me life, hope, joy, and peace. And I receive all of that. And I receive this new life with you as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask for your help to live my life the way you planned it so that I could become all you designed me to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen, amen. And I saw about 30-odd people put their hands up in the room tonight. Uh, what I want you to do is I want you to do me a favor, all right? Maybe you didn't put your hand up. Maybe you wish you did. What I want you to do is I want you to text the word SAVE to the number 515-335-0335 or hold your phone up, your camera app up to this barcode. Fill out the form on there. We're going to send you a Bible in the mail this week because there's three things you need to do, all right? You need to get in the Word of God. You know what happened to Eve? The devil came up to Eve and said, did God really say? And he tricked her, right? But if you read your Bible, you'll know what God says. So when the devil comes to trick you, you can be like, get behind me, Satan. I know what he said. All right. So you need to, as a new believer, you need to get in the Word. You need to get, you need to get in the Word of God. You get to, need to hang around with the people of God, and you need to hang out in the house of God. Amen. So come back to church tomorrow, or come back to church next week. Tell somebody that you gave your life to Christ today, and you tell them, "Watch my life change now." Amen. Amen. So praise God. One thing we want to do though, before we dismiss, we're going to sing our way out tonight, and and, and that's cool. So you you can. You can go in just a moment, about two minutes. You can, you can feel free to go in a moment. But before we do that, I want to give an opportunity for people tonight because both of these gentlemen have talked about something real serious, something we've been praying a lot about over the last few weeks. And that is that people would get set free from hopelessness. And they get set free from suicidal ideation. I don't know if you've thought about suicide. Maybe you just feel hopeless. I don't know what your story is. I know Jesus loves you dearly. I know that, that He sent a rocker to come and tell you how good God is. He sent a rocker to Iowa to come and tell you how good God is. Jesus is your answer. If you're hopeless, Jesus is your answer. If you're broken, Jesus is your answer. If you're struggling to break free from addiction, he tried and he tried and he tried, but Jesus was the answer. I don't know if you're addicted. I don't know if you feel hopeless. I don't know if you feel suicidal. But in the name of Jesus, you're going to find freedom tonight. And what I want you to do to lay hold of that freedom, and then these guys are going to pray for you in a moment. What I want you to do to lay hold of that freedom is to get out of your seat and run down the front right now. Last night, there was at least a hundred and something men so I don't know who you are, but if you feel hopeless, if you feel, if you felt suicidal, if you need to break free from addiction, I want you to come down the front right now. Come to the middle. You can, you can roll all the way down the front. I know there's more coming. Come on, there's more coming. Yeah, you're welcome. Come on. Come on. Who knows? Tonight's the night. It all changes. Tonight's the night. We get set free. Amen. You're not hopeless. He's the hope giver. Amen. Come on. You, you, you don't have to make peace with addiction for the rest of your life. He's the freedom bringer. Amen. You don't have to end your life. You don't have to take your life. You can give your life to someone who wants it, like Brian said. Amen. So come on down the front. Would you guys come over here and, and say a word of prayer over these guys? We're going to pray. 
Can you pray for people who are feeling suicidal? And then would you mind praying for people who break addictions? But we're going to do that right now. But I'm telling you, these aren't just two random rockers. They're men of God who love Jesus and have experienced His power. And I'm believing that the anointing on their life is going to touch your lives. Amen. So lift up your hands down the front. In the crowd, lift up your hands. We're going to pray. Thanks, mate. So Jesus, we just thank you for everyone that walked forward, everyone with their hands in the air right now, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. We just ask you to come and break off the spirit of suicide, the spirit of hopelessness, Lord. We just ask you to break that off right now, right now, Lord, and fill them fully with hope from the tops of their head to the tips of their toes, Holy Spirit. We just ask you to fill them afresh, fill them afresh, and we tell the spirit of suicide, you must go. The Word of God says that we were given all spirit and all authority. We just tell the spirit of suicide to go in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We break it off in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Lord, like I said before, there's a healthy addiction. When we find you, we find life. Being addicted to life, there's nothing wrong with that, Lord. Yes, I was a little bit weird at first, Jesus, but I found balance. But you are the healthy obsession, Lord. <laughs> I pray for all these addictions that are in here that might be struggling, all the people that may be struggling, Lord. I just pray that, I pray that you would break that off because what they are are lesser highs because, God, you are the most high and your presence is the most best feeling you can feel. Drugs are counterfeit. They're trying to make us feel good so we can have a heavenly, some kind of piece of heaven, Lord, to feel good inside because the world is just hurt. We hurt so much, Lord, but you give us the real pleasure. Yes, there is pleasure, people. Jesus, you give pleasure by your love, your shalom, peace, your contentment that you give us. I pray that you would break the addictions right now and give contentment for life Lord that we could they could go home and sit in their chair with no one even home possibly and they just feel content in life like everything's gonna be okay I pray that you would bombard their minds with thoughts that everything's gonna be okay everything's gonna be okay everything's gonna be okay thank you Lord we know that your power can do it and we know that your faithfulness will do it amen Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.